Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. I was very angry that this person was meant to protect me and be the one to look out for me. I paid somebody to harm me in such a violent way. Khadija Blah is a high-profile, passionate and inspiring African-Australian woman. She's an award-winning human rights activist, inspirational speaker, facilitator and philanthropist. She has displayed great courage and determination in achieving her aspirations of giving women, youth and minority groups a voice at a local, state and international level. Khadija utilises her powerful and inspired voice to advocate equality and inclusion. Khadija was born in Sierra Leone and was just three years old when war broke out in her country. Ten years later, she attained refugee status and resettled in Adelaide. Khadija is the lead voice and campaigner on female genital mutilation in Australia, and her TED talk, My Mother's Strange Definition of Empowerment, has reached nearly three million views. Khadija runs a not-for-profit organisation, Ending Female Genital Mutilation Australia, which works to protect Australian girls from FGM and also to support survivors of FGM. Khadija provides training for professionals, advocacy and community education for practising communities in Australia. The list of what Khadija has achieved in her young life of advocacy is no short of astounding. She's been recognised through numerous awards, including 2009 InStyle magazine, the Advocate for Acceptance Human Rights Award, 2017 Cosmopolitan magazine, Women of the Year finalist, 2016 Women's Weekly and Qantas Women of the Future finalist, 2016 Oz Mumpreneur, Rising Star and Making a Difference, Not-for-Profit Award, and 2014 The Advertiser, South Australia's 50 Most Influential Women, to name but a few. I recently had the privilege of seeing Khadija speak on stage where there was not a dry eye in the audience, and she was honoured with a standing ovation. Her story is incredibly moving. She's so generous in sharing the path she's taken to get here, and it's one that many would not have been able to endure. I urge you to watch her TED Talk to understand what she's been through and how, at 13, this beautiful soul decided enough is enough. This topic is not for the faint-hearted, but it's so important that we understand that FGM is happening here in Australia today. And as a child abuse issue, it's something that is all our business, not just those from certain cultures or backgrounds. This is a pretty confronting conversation and there are things we talk about that will make many feel really uncomfortable. It's such an important conversation though and I feel honoured to sit with an outstanding human that is so crystal clear around her purpose in life and it's making a true dent on the world. 
Khadija, it is a privilege to have you join me here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, or I should say, ambushing me. <laughs> love it, love it. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I call you say, come and talk to me. The topic is so amazing. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It will be female genital mutilation. And I'm sure nobody saw that coming, that's for sure. No, and not, not a light topic either, not right? Not a light topic, but this podcast is called about, it's all about talking about uncomfortable topics. Exactly. And female genital mutilation is about the mutilation of the genitals of little girls all over the world, including Australia. I yeah. don't know anything that could be more uncomfortable, but more important to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I agree with you. And having just seen you speak, just phenomenal and such a moving, moving talk that you did you had the whole entire audience in tears you know love you but we were like beside ourselves so I want to really dig into some of that because it was really special and you obviously share a lot of your personal stories to get the messages across but a point you just said then around this is a very important topic globally but most of us here in Australia think oh that's not you know that doesn't affect us that's in other you know nationalities and other countries so can you clear that up and you know you live here in Adelaide you've been here for 10 20 years years. amazing and you have been an advocate talking about this issue and you know a campaigner why is it such an important topic to you it's very important to me because as somebody who's a survivor a nine-year-old who was subjected to this by my mom I went on to realize I was only one of 200 million women and girls globally who had been subjected to female genital mutilation and in Australia there are 200,000 survivors and 11 girls a day are at risk of having FGM subjected to them. 11 that girls a day here in Australia. 11 girls in Australia. a day in Australia here. And when I say 11 girls a day, they are blonde, blue eye, mind you. They are black, they're Asian, they're Middle Eastern. Mm. FGM is a global problem that transcends class, religion, ethnicity, because it is patriarchal. It is a mm. symptom of sexism and misogyny at its worst. Mm. Because it believes that women should not have body autonomy. And in this case, mm. little black girls, babies as young as two weeks old, are at risk of being subjected to this issue. I was saying in my speech today, mm. a month ago, a two-week-old baby in Perth was almost subjected to FGM. Pediatricians in Australia have said they've seen babies as young as four months old presenting oh, with injuries consistent with FGM. So when I say FGM is happening in Australia, I'm not saying people brought FGM to Australia. I'm literally saying FGM is part of all of us because it is a brutal form of gender-based violence, child abuse, Mm. and gender discrimination. Mm. The reason it happens is this belief that we need to control society, the patriarchal culture, says we must control the bodies of women and girls. Yeah, so talk to me about that. Why is it done? Because I think, you know, us that aren't, you know, we're not aware of this and we don't understand. And that's what we need people like you to educate us. Why is it still done today? It's done for different reasons, depending on who's doing it. When it's done in the Anglo world, it's done to cure homosexuality. Lesbianism particularly. It is done to stop women's masturbation. When when you're four, what, four four months old? Yeah. What, in case you have an urge to be a lesbian at four, like seriously? And, and you are showing signs of liking a girl and your religious fanatic parents have decided in your clitoris is the problem. It's why it's making you feel that way and they take you to a doctor and a clinic to have it cut, to stop you. Or you're found touching yourself like this Australian Anglo woman I know in Melbourne who was found touching herself and trigger warning. Her mom took a scissors and cut off her Oh, clitoris. good God. 
So when it's done for ethnic communities, it's done for purity and cleanliness. Mm. It's done to preserve virginity so you can, because some men, still the patriarchal culture says women should stay pure. It's that whole Madonna, whole and virgin uh, syndrome yeah. thing, but a man can sow his oats and he, you know, he's a stud. So it's done for all these various reasons and it doesn't matter what the reason that's given. What is actually at the heart of FGM in any form, whether labia plasty for girl under the age of 18, which is FGM because medically unnecessary, mm-hmm. whether it's Anglo women going to have babies mm-hmm. and a doctor deciding to add extra stitches, what we call the husband stitch, that's type 3 FGM. I'm sure nobody saw that coming. They're like, what's she talking about? Mm-hmm. That's FGM. Mm-hmm. It's medically unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I had an Australian friend say she went to have a baby. The doctor turned to her husband and said, I'm going to add a few stitches for you, mate. She's lying there like she was not human, like she was not adult. It's just disgusting. This is, that's why I said the reason for this, if mm-hmm. you take away all the bullshit people will try to sell you, it's mm-hmm. my religion, it's my culture, yeah. well, I don't want my daughter to touch herself, I, I think women should be pure and clean. It's pay tree, yeah called bullshit mm-hmm. it's how we control if she's wearing a bikini or she's too she's too revealing she's wearing a hijab or she's too fucking covered up it's this constant battlefield and woman's body is the battlefield mm-hmm. they need to control it they need to control women's sexuality they need they need to subjugate us to limit us to so just childbearing we're only good for babies because mm-hmm. that's it and then when a woman of course can't have a baby or doesn't want to have a baby oh you're good for nothing we saw that with julia gillard mm-hmm. we have this consistent sexism misogynistic ideas and attitudes and some of those manifest in a physically violent way mm-hmm. and fgm is one form of that mm-hmm. in australia we know one woman a week is killed due to domestic and family violence that's another manifestation of this hate this diminishing of women's worth and even their lives Mm-mm. to that level. Mm. So talk to me. I mean, your story is phenomenal and you're so beautiful you to share it. No, are you? Well, you are so beautiful. It's all right. I've put lots of photos of you. You are beautiful. But you are so beautiful also in your spirit and your generosity to share such a personal story. You talked about, and I don't know if you want to talk about that now, about the fact that you were, you know, mutilated under your mother holding you down, which is just, I mean, I'm going to get upset thinking about it and talking about it again on your behalf, but it's a patriarchal viewpoint but why is it that women still feel yeah that this is the right thing to do to their daughters and their children it actually is quite simple when any group is oppressed they can internalize that oppression inside within themselves women particularly because we live in patriarchal societies all over the world we are told what the norms are who is in and who is out how to behave like a good woman you're rewarded. If you behave what is considered not normal, not healthy, outside of society's norms, you are punished. Think of the last time you did something that was outside of what Australian culture says was healthy womanhood. Whether you were too brash, you talked about sex too much, you bragged about your sexual partners. Wait, you this whole podcast, babe. This whole podcast, I exactly. shit all the time. I'm sure all the topics here and even you uncomfortable. podcast, exactly. Yeah. And it you're judged, you're right. Yeah. So for this woman, so in that cultural context, whether across the world, even for Anglo women here, what is happening is that the patriarchy has set what is the norm. Pure women, whatever form that comes in, in that, oh, I've only had one sexual partner. We see when people say, if you're dating somebody, they go, how many partners have you had? That question for men, mm. it goes differently for women. Yep. Women cut the number, men add up the number. Mm-hmm. Because mm. the norm says, we still want our women 
to be sexual only when it benefits the man but not be sexual when it doesn't benefit them and certainly not to be too sexual in that empowered to have partners and enjoy sex and be liberated so women will still answer that question as less because they know the backlash they know inevitably even deep into that if they number they give a true number of the healthy partners and sex life they're having yes lot but men know inevitably i'm gonna add up my number because i'm actually stuck because yeah, society set yeah. the norms so for traditional forms of fgm across the world the patriarchal norm is we need clean pure girls and a good parent knows that if i provide that then in that cultural norm i'm a good parent sounds twisted but i am a good parent yeah, right. i am providing for my daughters yeah. i am protecting them because if i don't do this cultural norm they will be ostracized they will not be manageable i am a bad mom the women are the agents but they are not the cause they're the agents because society still puts pressure on women to uphold good motherhood yeah. that when children turn good it's always everyone when they turn back it's their mother's fault mm -hmm. so if they don't do this act not to say they believe it's a good thing but some believe it's a good thing not out of hatred and that's what makes this even more twisted fgm is not done out of hate it's actually done out of a delusional sense of love mm -hmm. for one's daughter in that culture context to belong in the anglo world in lesbianism whether be it um uh, labia plastic once again women are watching that society says that vaginas look a certain way vulvas to porn and a various mm -hmm. media outlets so that woman the anglo woman who took her 13 year old to plastic surgeon to cut her labia lips because they were too big according to her medically not unnecessary for the daughter who had no issues mm -hmm. She was fitting a cultural norm that was sold to her that that's what normal vagina mm. should look like. And she thought her daughter didn't fit into that and her daughter might be penalized maybe to a partner who would tell her it's too big. That. We sometimes see the agents of this act, but we don't see how internalized misogyny and sexism tells women, you must step in line. As moms, this is what you must do to be a good mother and to be with that person who has done a good job because that's our norm in that setting. Mm -hmm. But we also don't see the backlash and the penalty if you step out of line. Mm -hmm. Mothers who have said no, even families who have said no, were ostracized, people tried to kill them, they've had to leave and flee their culture and community. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. Talk to me about that because you stood up to your mother in 2001, so 20 years ago, yes. and you were thir 13. 13 years old and you said enough, enough you enough. know, so talk to me about that moment and then subsequently what happened because when you talked about being ostracised from your community and your yes. family where you made a stand and not for yourself because it had already been done to you, it was about future yeah. generations and you said like, you know, you don't want anyone to go through like yeah. what you went through. So. Yeah, can you share that moment and then what happened from there? Because I think while I have just explained your reasoning and the thinking behind this, any form of child abuse is unacceptable. We can explain why some people are in tough situations compared to others, but the reality is we're talking about children. Mm. And they can't protect themselves no. and we're depending on adults 
to speak up, to stand up. So they are parents all over the world have made the choice. I will leave a DV relationship. I will leave for my kids. I don't want them to be exposed to violence. I will, uh, we've seen the refugee parents go through water with no guarantee, get on a boat, hoping they'll get to the other side for their babies. Yeah. The way a parent can sacrifice for a child, there's nothing compared to that yeah. in the world. So in explaining all those reasons, there is not an excuse to ever not take the right side when it comes to any form of child abuse. That includes FGM. As a 13-year-old child who's just become aware that this is something that I had experienced, I knew there were others who had experienced it and who would be at risk of experiencing it. I could not. I remember my heart just going, no, no, no. I'm not going to let this happen. This was when you were 13. I was a child. Yeah. By all accounts. So why, what happened at that point? When did the mutilation, nine, if you call it, nine. so you were nine years old. Yes. And you were held down. And this is when you lived in, in Gambia. Yeah. Just before we came to Australia. And then we came here, I realized what had happened to me. My memories came back. And if anyone watches my TED talk or my mother's strange definition of empowerment, it goes more into the longer details. But for the purpose of this podcast, I sort of had amnesia for a while. All the trauma response, mm-hmm. I squashed it all down. Yeah. And then it surfaced because I got triggered by something I saw and I remember what had happened to me. Then I had to relieve that mm-hmm. experience all over again. But and I was so angry, okay? I was very angry that this person was meant to protect me and be the one to look out for me had paid somebody to harm me in such a violent way. While also very much understanding the reasoning for it, but not changing the harm and the damage and the unnecessariness of it. Mm-mm. So, and you said from the day, though, that it happened, like, it was so horrific, but you never talked about it. Like, she well, never talked about no it from that day on. There yeah. was no explanation <clears throat> until I confronted her when we came this to four Australia years later. because yeah. of this trigger saying, yeah, yeah. why did you do this to yeah, me? Yeah. And she explained, she thought she was being a good mom. It was what she needed to do for us to be mom. And I, I looked at her and went, what, sorry, say that again. So what she needed to do she for you to, to belong. Be mom and for us to belong, belong in that cultural context. Wow. To not be cut. 96% of the women in Sierra Leone are cut. To not be cut is to be strange. And to that's still weird. today. 96% still today. One of the yeah. highest rates of FGM in the world happens in Sierra Leone. So pretty much almost every Sierra Leonean woman has been cut. So that is the norm. That's the default. But regardless of that, I said to her, it doesn't matter. This is violent this is abuse this is unnecessary and it's unacceptable and just because it's always happened doesn't mean it needs to continue to happen Mm -hmm. and i was scared i didn't stand close enough to her when i was saying this i stood very far away in case a spoon a wood a a sticker or anything came at me i I, I could dock very fast because i'm still a kid living at home with her but i felt strongly then as i continue to feel strongly 20 years later abuse continues because of silence and it doesn't matter if something has always happened people didn't know better once you know better you do bloody better so was this child talking to the woman who fed clothed her and who provides for me me, all of that stuff but the power imbalance trust me was huge Mm -mm. but i had the guts the guts to say to her no more it needs to stop with me it can't happen to any more little girls in my family or in our community and certainly even wider across Australia and globally. And I think she didn't take it seriously. She was taken back by the fact that I was this bold when she fed me. <laughs> but I think she could tell. And my mom has raised me. She knows she has a bolsy daughter. She's been bolsy about a lot of things. But this was huge. I was talking about a centuries-old practice that's been going on for decades and was saying this... Tiny little me 
was gonna take it on. And when I say take it on, it wasn't just taking on like with my mom. I'm talking about taking on with my community. I'm talking about taking it on in Australia. I have led a national conversation about FGM for 20 years in Australia. I am the face. Can I just say high fucking five to you, sweetheart? Seriously. You say that so flippantly, and yet it is so amazing. The lives that you have changed, clearly, and like I don't even know if you've have I any idea. Yeah, you have no idea of the impact on that. But this is why it's such an important issue to talk about because it's mortifying as us here, as you know, like white privileged Australians who think that this is not our issue. And it's disgusting that this happens in our country. It's disgusting. To, and I think your point around the fact that this is, you know, it's child abuse and we're so passionate. And she said, like, a, we have a, you know, a week where we child say protection week. child protection week and yet this shit's not addressed. It's People not don't say it's not my issue. It's not my, it's not my cultural thing. I don't understand it. And yet it's one of the most disgusting forms of child abuse. And it doesn't get addressed. And I have spent and dedicated my life every day, 365 days a year to this, to have platforms where mm-hmm. I can speak about it. So teachers, social workers, doctors, nurses can know mm. this is something you must be aware of. You mm. must do your part. You must step in when you're aware and have information that says a child is at risk because you can make that difference. Mm. All it takes is that one decision, that choice. It can be a difference between a child being safe or living with the mm. health consequences of FGM for the rest of their lives. So and what can we do, darling? What, how can we help? It's so, easy. The first step is go watch my TED Talk because yeah. I think the more people mm-hmm. understand and listen, there's power in listening to somebody who's gone through something and even there I give more tips on what to do. Yeah. After you do that, share it. Mm. Talk to your friends, your family members about FGM. This is a form of child abuse. Talk about it. You'll be amazed at how people do know people. And potentially, that information being shared could be the difference between somebody going, oh my God, this is relevant. I thought this was something I came across at work, but I wasn't sure. Once you have done that, if you work in a field where you work with children, book for specialized FGM training with me. It's through my website. And these are not all charged up sort of stuff because I do this out of my obligation to what I feel is if mm. I can build a capacity of professionals who engage with children mm. and if they can go to protect those precious little girls, I've done my job. Mm. So don't let anything hold you back. Go to my website, go here, Khadija, or Instagram, find me, say, oh, I heard about you. I work with kids. I would love to know how to recognize who is at risk, mm. how to have the conversation with the family, how to report. Mm. I will arm you with the information necessary to make sure you do your part. Yeah, beautiful. Because it's all enough. Child protection is everyone's business. It is. At the heart of this, when you remove culture, religion, the adults are precious, innocent babies. Little children who are being treated like a threat. I mean, I'm curious, what is the oldest age like that this happens to? But it's every I mean, adult. But coerced and forced to undergo it. So the median age is 15. can go as young as when they're born. Yeah. To adulthood where you're coerced until this is what needs to be done, or even still kidnapped. Or... or that, that poor woman lying there having a baby mm-hmm. and somebody decides she needs extra stitches. We just have to leave FGM yeah, medically yeah. unnecessary. So it transcends that. But I think mm-hmm. for all intensive purposes, children under the age of 18, that is a child protection thing. And that mm-hmm. is something we can control yep. because it sits under the Child Protection Act. Once you pass the age of 18, mm-hmm. we still want to support women and anyone who thinks they might be at risk. And that is still available. It just gets a bit more trickier mm. depending on who is coerced or if somebody's also making an informed choice to have extra stitches. You know, you see this whole movement now and people 
having plastic oh, for women on the over the because they think someone's different. made them think that that doesn't look right and That's you've got extra bits norm. and whatever well, you see how cultural yeah, norms work yeah. tv ads tell it's us what, how we need to look but our female magazines so are accountable right magazines change women porn yes. most men don't know what they normal vagina because yeah. all the porn they, what they, they look at their partner and go it's not tucked in why is it hanging you're like it's that's what it look like. Yeah. That's well, the best thing they can do is go to Tasmania, the Mona Museum, go and have a look at the wall of vaginas uh, because people are like, whoa, there's like 50 different and they're all different shapes and sizes. For, and especially as women, you don't even realise. You never we look don't. at someone else's. So have, have a partner. So, yes. yeah, it's the best education piece isn't it and but it's not widespread until it's mainstream it's in our tv art it's in schools across the board where we where we normalize that mm-hmm. that's what they come in all shapes and sizes men know what penises look like they never worried about being up because it's so available that they feel validated mm-hmm. yet women's bodies have been shamed and, and silent and kept like this little secret thing it's no wonder most women don't feel comfortable in their own bodies most women don't feel comfortable with their vulvas most women think they are abnormal. But when and you see shame, the vulva, so much shame yeah, involved the vulva in library, you're like, oh yeah. my God, it hangs, it comes different shapes. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a vulva library. Oh, wow. It comes in all shapes and sizes. And for people it. really, go on the website, the vulva library, it's a library full of oh, vulvas so, go, so that women once again can see that in society and men, comes in they all can forms see, and shapes. Yeah, exactly. Their partners are not unusual. And they it's are not. not. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Basically, unless your vulva or your lips, labial, you know, lips out there were chaffed or hurting you you're pretty no much reason. normal yeah you're pretty much yeah. actually just the standard and but society has sold us on labiaplasty and vaginaplasty and all these things to to tweak and fix something that was never broken in yes. the first place yeah so where to from here with you i mean this is such an amazing you know work that you do and i you know you will not be giving up on anything until you pursue and until i know, die basically well, honestly but, yeah, I mean, this is such an amazing, you know, your calling, as you said, you worked out at 13 years old. Yeah, phenomenal, huh? So where to next? Well, where to next is always looking for opportunities to expand new platforms. Recently, I started doing modeling and it, it was a strange concept to go, you know, if you have been a model, then you become an activist. It's different than going the other way yeah, down. Yeah. But the way I see it, it's a platform. The fashion and beauty industry have, it's a huge platform i've done some work with camilla brass and things mimco and what i loved with all of those opportunities was that obviously once again this is me saying fuck you to the patriarchy that's it <laughs> i need to fit into one box and can't be all and everything yeah. i can be all and everything i choose to want to be so i wasn't gonna let anything stop me from that but that those platforms i reached new audience like today with business chic i reached a new audience and that audience is full of doctors, nurses, teachers, PR people, media mogul, CEO for Fortune 5 companies and all of that. There's power in that. In spreading my message to them, educating them, people who want to fundraise for me, want to volunteer their services and go, I'm a marketing person, what can we do? I want to do vagina cupcakes, let's do that. I want to do t-shirts, let's do that. You need a new website, let's do that. Let me just send you a spa voucher. Go to the spa, that's how I can help you. Or I have a platform, what if I utilize that platform? Mm -hmm. I have an organization, we do morning teas. I invite you to be a speaker, that's how, uh, because when I do my speaking engagement, a percentage of that goes to my Desert Flower Center. To support the work that I do. So the next step for me this year has been since last year has been how can I use new and creative ways 
to still send my message because you yeah. you have to be adaptive and being an activist the key thing i want is a platform and an audience but how i go about that can be interchangeable Mm-mm. for so long i thought i just needed a stage give me a microphone the world has changed from that people are now online they're in social media my instagram has had to change mm. i have to wake up the vagina monologue with beautiful pictures every now and then because just the monologue was just like oh my god stop now I put a picture and vagina monologue, then back to a picture, be like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. It's like a, it's like a Zumba dance with me. Yeah. So, so you're having such an impact in Australia, clearly. Yes. But I know your reach is far and your global. ambition is global. How do you get back to your home country, back to where there's 97% of girls still being cut? I How don't do you have make- to. Even though we're global citizens and I have global partnerships with organizations that are based in Sierra Leone because they know what's happening in Sierra Leone and women who are Sierra Leoneans who are doing this work themselves, leading it in Sierra Leone. Just like I have partners in the UK and in the US and Europe. There is power in realizing that local grassroots has power. So my goal is not to end up in Sierra Leone, but to actually tackle what's happening in my own backyard and leave what's happening in Sierra Leone for those who are there. Yeah, but guess they're, what? they're being inspired by you. I am not, yeah. I'm not in Sierra Leone anymore. Yeah. The cultural context there is so different. Yeah. Those who live, they have the power and the voice. They just need support. Yeah. So that's what I can Beautiful. do while I work here. So all the work is connected. It's not in isolation. While I'm based in Australia and my audience is Australian and I want to tackle FGM here. I like what work with all my counterparts. They say condition in the UK, there's a Khadija in the US, there are many Khadijas across Africa. Africa is actually doing most work in tackling FGM, and then there's the Khadijas in Europe. So we all talk, we talk, we support each other, we talk and we share notes, and we globally support and coordinate while staying local. Because I don't want to go save Sierra Leonean women. They don't need saving. They mm-hmm. are saving themselves. Yeah. I want to save Australian women yeah. and work with them because that is yeah. who I am and empower Australian women for us to save ourselves where we are mm. in this cultural context that where we see our highest level of government, women have been raped and sexually assaulted. You think FGM sits outside of that? It's part of the same spectrum of behavior. Mm. The root cause is patriarchy, gender inequality. So we all need to tackle this yeah. whole thing. And we have to do it in our hometown. You know, one of the things that sometimes frustrates me, I think, when too often we go, look over there. Oh, look over there. It's easy and it's a distraction. We need to be looking here. Really uh, valid point. We are first world nation. Yes. But we and have we need third to be world better. conditions. Correct. Deaths in custody, poverty, unclean water in some communities, kids are left hungry, homelessness, one woman a week is killed to do it. Divi- we don't need to look far. Honestly, I think we should be mobilizing and sorting out the mess in our backyard. <laughs> Sierra Leoneans will sort out Sierra Leone. We need to sort out those fucking Australia. Yeah. But we need to do, mate. Yeah. Right there. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> Khadija, you are so amazing to talk to and to hear and you're incredibly inspirational and i just thank you so much for chatting to me today i think your conversations and your words and so much wisdom and you know for what you've been through is just phenomenal for you to share that with everyone and thank you for that and the work that you do and the amount of people that you're saving and you will continue to do so thank you for having me and making it to have uncomfortable conversations that must be had thank you If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode 
or maybe even rate, review and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.